Welcome to Inside the Firm, a podcast dedicated to small business owners and hosted by entrepreneurs, Alex Gore and Lance Psycho. Each week, they take you on their journey of how to start, run, and grow a business by bringing you inside their architecture and real estate development firm. Get a behind-the-scenes tour of how these business leaders manage their clients and foster company culture while creating new and innovative projects. And now your host, Alex Gore and Lance Psycho. Welcome to another edition of Inside the Firm. I'm here with Lance Luxury Division Psycho, who is our main I, host. I legally changed my name. Yep. I am. That's how committed I am, Alicia. What is my name? Alex? Architect and Builder Gore. There we go. And speaking about Architect and Builder, man, has it really helped out and worked in practice like we preached, meaning that basically our, our next bill for one of our framing projects that Lance has been on is going to help payroll. It's going to help bonuses. It's going to help uh, secure that side of the firm. It's going to be financially stable. It's going to help extend our financial st- stability. Um, and it's all because we took the leap of architect to builder and we took it in steps. First, we were basically paper contractors um, who did some work who, man, that that, that also is a lot of work <laughs> being, yeah. being, a, being a paper contractor. Just being contractor. a paper contractor. Um, and then grew basically a small crew and that small crew right now is out working and everything's going well. Um, if you want to test the waters, the best way to test that waters is to get an overview of how we did it right before starting. So go to architect build architect to builder.com architect to builder. No, no, it's architects guide to.com architects guide to architects guide to.com. Go check it out. There you go. You have it. You have it there. Uh, also, uh, this podcast, this episode is brought to you by Arcat. If you haven't used Arcat Spec Wizard before, now is the time. Spec Wizard is a patented tool that allows you to specify a product in just three steps, all for free and without even registering. Step one, research and find the right products for your project on Arcat.com. Step two, use the Spec Wizard tool to select products and options. Step three, generate a complete three-part CSI or CS. C specification based on your selections. That's it. Again, Spec Wizard is free to use. Requires no registration. Just head over to arcat.com. That's a r c a t dot com today and try Spec Wizard. This episode is also brought to you by Pella Luxury. As Al indicated, my middle name is Pella Luxury. Lance Pella Luxury Psycho. If you have you have never experienced a brand like this before. The collection of brands within the luxury division of Pella are the conversation starters, the pioneers of industry who provide window and door solutions to discerning architects, the building industry, and beyond. They have decades of experience creating things no one else in the world is creating, and the collection of brands are brought together to complement and build on one another. They don't push beyond the limits. They set them. Explore PellaLuxury.com forward slash the firm. That's PellaLuxury.com forward slash the firm today. Check them out. They support this podcast. You visiting their website support, helps support this podcast as well, and we appreciate it on all fronts. Al Gore, what do we got next? So we have an interesting <clears throat> article. Um, it's called Realtors Group says 89 separate building codes across St. Louis. And are you Lewis. screen recording, or do I need to? You need to. Okay. Um, county uh, across St. Louis County are wasteful and inconsistent. Uh, so essentially, they have a, a nice picture. Um, there you go. There we go. Now we're recording. Basically, it says all St. Louis County Municipal Code Books, 16,786 pages. Um, and I think what they're trying to get to is compared to all code books by municipalities. In, in Wait, wait. Oh, their county code book is 3,000 pages. But all the code books put together are 16,700. You got it. That's the difference. Yep. Inconsistent and duplicative building codes is the uh, title of the graphic they got here. Yep. yep. Um, so basically they're saying that this real estate group says they're inconsistent, inconsistent outdated, wastefully duplicated. Uh, they are adding time and cost for developers. And this there's going to be a through line through like basically everything that we're going through. There's at least... 
42 building code books ranging in publication from 1995 to 2018. The association said um, there's over 809 chapters and close to 17,000 pages. That's more than the 9,000 page <laughs> code. <laughs> That's such an interesting comparison. Yep. A man, even, uh, oh, this... no, even, even if you added the length of such books as War and Peace, which is hugely thick, or the Harry Potter series. That is absolutely crazy. And uh, to put that in perspective, I just want to pull up here my main man, uh, Rand Paul. Uh, at one point, Rand Paul, so this image I'm pulling up here, just, just to give you like a visual, Republican uh, presidential candidate U.S., uh, so this is old, obviously, uh, Republican presidential candidate U.S. Senator Rand Paul is flanked by more than 74,000 pieces of paper representing the size of the U.S. tax code. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that, but that was one of his uh, shticks that he was doing when he ran for president in 2015 um, was to kind of give you visuals about like how thick the code is. So if this is the IRS code, right, um, then you could imagine this picture over here, double the paperwork just for, um, what was this, St. Louis County and yep. municipalities? Wow, yep. okay. Well, what's crazy about this is, is is why it is that way. And why it is that way is essentially your <clears throat> what government is supposed to be is a fair place that's just that people have a say and people know that there's something like there's a consistent logic to it, right? Because let's say it's you It's supposed were, to provide a framework for everybody to have equal access to opportunities yep that's the best way i put it well right but then it's also so that hey if i'm going to do commerce with you or buy a piece of land or put something here we know that this can happen so that i can get things done and that everything can flow right yeah. the problem is that why these expand so much is <clears throat> because the nature of it is okay now you need to have because you're the government's everyone's input and then everyone's input makes for a shitty thing that doesn't work right so just think about I, I'll, I'll go back to the analogy. If you were making a conference phone and you, and you went to every big company that buys and be like, what do you need? What, like, what would be great? Well, you'd get all this input, right? You'd make all these buttons and you'd put everything that everyone wants in there. And then all of a sudden what IBM wants versus what Goldman Sachs wants now makes this huge nonsense of a thing. And everyone has their buy-in. So like everyone agrees that this is a conference phone. So now every one of those companies buy it. Mm -hmm. And then everyone is forced to, to get it. And then you re then like companies wonder like, why is everyone just buying an iPhone and, and not using the conference phone? Because it's just this wasted, bloated thing. And going back to government then and, and these codes and the IRS code is like, now you need to put in every little nuanced situation that you can think of, right? Or that has happened. So now you have like, let's just say something simple like a setback code, right? Like, oh, there should be a variance when like, let's say you're an industrial building and right up to another industrial building. Oh, that makes sense. Like you guys aren't going to care that you're right up next to each other, both causing noise, being crazy industrial stuff. Okay. What about this situation? What about this situation? What about this situation? What about this situation? So now within like a setback, all you're trying to do is figure out a setback and there's 400 pages. So now you need to find your setback. And then now all of a sudden you need to find, holy cow, are there any variances to this? What about these different situations? How do I maximize this? And it went from something very simple as, hey, we're going to have a little space in between buildings to 400 pages of that now. And it, and it does not end because there's always a new situation. There's always a new thing like, oh, what if it's a tinker mill next to a playground? Sure. What's the situation there? Mm -hmm. Why can't that be smaller? And then you get into something worse, right? Because now you get into a developer or a person saying, hey, I want to do something slightly different than the code. And either they allow it or they don't. And then another developer said, hey, you allowed it in this situation. Why won't you allow it in my situation? And they'd be like, well, actually, we found out that that didn't work out well, so we're not going to allow it. We have to go back to the code. Mm -hmm. And then now everyone at a planning department or an IRS agent is, oh, what's the code? Oh, your situation is unique and it makes sense for you to do it that way? Don't care. Do not care. We are going straight to the code. Now you are relying on building the real world on a set of documents 
made by a committee that is not smarter than a single human person because it is that committee mentality and it doesn't follow it. It only follows to a certain extent um, would like street smarts because you, you can't like you can't put this if you put this brain or your brain onto a piece of paper, it'd probably be a million pages and it would probably be changing on circumstances. So like you just can't do it. And then all of a sudden you get this sort of gridlock. It's kind of the system that we have now, but it needs to be changed. It needs to be changed and for multiple reasons. Yep. So well, their conclusion, <clears throat> their conclusion of this was that they need to meet with stakeholders. Uh, so from the article, the, the organization is reaching out to local officials and stakeholders to discuss building a coalition around consistent building codes. Barry said the organization said it wants to keep zoning authority, architecture review, comprehensive planning, and occupancy permits and inspections with municipalities because local cities should still control the look and feel of their communities. Yeah, I agree with that. But getting them consistent, right? That's, that's I think, the key here. Um, are we okay to move ahead? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Al has another story here, um, and it is from, don't allow, and it is from Fee, one of my favorite, favorite uh, groups on, on Earth. Uh, Fee is, I believe they stand for like a Freedoms for Economic Empowerment or something like that. But they're a great um, nonprofit. I've actually interviewed one of the guys who, uh, uh, I, th- I think he's on the board or something like that, Jeffrey Tucker. You should follow him on Twitter. He's great. He's a good economist. Uh, Al, this is your article, though. Don't let me step oh. on you. Um, Unless no. you want me to. I can, I'll, I'll read it to you. Go ahead. Great. Go ahead. So, the, so the title is uh, New York NYT, New York Times. Yep. New York New York Times explores what happens when Democrats have all the power. The answer may surprise you. Ooh, am I going to be surprised? No, this is actually your article. I didn't put it in. There. Oh, good. Really? Yeah, I did not. Put it turns it out uh, voters and lawmakers in progressive states arrive at decisions like everyone else does on self-interest, but that's not all. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, this article is from uh, November 18th, 2021, so it's recent. Last week, New York Times video journalist Johnny Harris asked a simple question. What do Democrats actually do when they have all the power? It turns out that 18 states in the U.S. are effectively run by Democrats who control both the executive and legislative branches, Colorado. As Harris notes, Democratic leaders tend to blame Republicans for foiling their progressive plans, but that's hardly the case in these 18 states where Republicans stand well away from from levels of power. To answer his question... What do Democrats do when they have power? Harris teamed up with Benjamin Applebaum, the, leader, the lead writer on business and economics on the Times editorial board and the author of The Economist Hour. What they found may surprise you. Um, so this relates to architecture because uh, in the next paragraph here, we're, we're, it's uh, the title is Housing is a Human Right. First, Harris and Applebaum drilled into the 2020 Democratic Party platform to see which values are most important to Democrats. They then focus on a particular state, California. Your Al's favorite place. Uh-huh. Al's second favorite place is California. His first favorite place is up uh, New York. He loves it. Yeah. Just ask him. Next time you see him in person, ask him. He'll tell you. <laughs> California, the quintessential liberal state where Democrats rule with ironclad majorities and control the government in most major cities. Finally, the journalist decided to look at one specific policy, housing. As Harris notes, housing policy is not exactly sexy stuff, but Applebaum uh, stresses just how important housing is in battling inequality. Quote, looking at California, you have to look at housing, end quote. Applebaum says, quote, you cannot say you are against income inequality in America unless you are willing to have affordable housing built into your neighborhood. The neighborhood where you are born has a huge influence on the rest of your life, end quote. Moreover, uh... So I go ahead. Basically, I think what the, this is saying is that 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 seems to be predominantly spoken by the the left. And then all of a sudden, when brass tax comes to change the code or to allow housing in these neighborhoods where the people in power might be Democrat, they're not going to allow it. Rules for the not for me. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see if House predictions right. So uh, article goes on to say, you know, the Democrats are shown repeating a common mantra. In the New York Times video, "Housing is Human Right," I'm sure you heard this over and over again. Um, so, how does how does how does it, how does California score on housing? Right? Democrats may say housing is a human right, 
but Applebaum notes their actions say something else, at least in California, right? Uh, so as the Los Angeles Times noted in 2019, California has, quote, an overregulation problem, end mm. quote, which is why nine of the 15 priciest metro areas in the U.S. are in California, and the medium price of a house in San Diego is 830000 a cool 830000 Al. In some cases, people have had to wait 20 years to build a pair of single-family homes. That's crazy. <laughs> Uh, Applebaum, uh, it's worth noting, appears to misdiagnose the problem. He complains that the state uh, has simply, for the most part, stopped building housing. Perhaps Applebaum simply misspoke, but it's worth noting that the state doesn't need to build a single use uh, unit of housing. It simply needs to step back and allow the market to function, I would agree. Um, regulations, however, aren't the full story, as Harris notes. Californians themselves have fought tooth and nail to keep higher-density affordable housing out of their neighborhoods. You don't say. So uh, California consistently <laughs> votes left, but then will fight tooth and nail to not allow housing in their neighborhood. Yeah, which literally, if by definition, uh, the idea behind being liberal is to liberate, right? So you would be liberating your neighborhoods yep. um, from the constraints of burdensome regulation. I, I want to be fair on two accounts. Okay. Because could you make the argument that California is liberal mm -hmm. and a, a lot of people that vote for this are of, let's just say in this scenario, lower income that want housing to be a human, a, a right. And then they want to make these uh, other developments into more dense developments. And that's, those people are the Democrats that are voting no. I don't, I mean the Republicans that are voting no. Um, you get what I'm saying? So yes. they're like, so that might be true, but it's probably not all true because all the, a lot of the people in Hollywood, 90% of them in these bigger developments are left-winging and they probably aren't voting to allow that happen. Also, I would say that I don't think density is the solution. It's not. cheaper it's not. costs. It's literally not. Because it's more, because the material prices are higher and also the process is more gummed up and everything costs more doing something in a in a previously built up location yeah like, i so I, while you were saying that what I, I can't remember i cannot remember his name right offhand but there was a monday morning episode that i interviewed that economist who yeah. argued the same where that it's he's he's trying to prove that places like houston where that are less dense or that are in theory, less dense uh, is it pertains to like, oh, we're just going to build skyscraper after skyscraper. But because of their flexible zoning, they have some of the most affordable real estate in the nation. Mm -hmm. uh, and actually, I think Scott Beyer of the Market, uh, the Market, the Market Institute, Urban Market Institute, or something like that, um, he he argues too that uh, Houston has a uh, it's Randall O'Toole that has a higher. I think it's uh, inside the firm. The firm Randall O. Tool, I believe that's a guy I interviewed. Uh yeah, 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 Randall O. Tool. Yep. So if you just go to, I don't know what episode it is, but Monday Morning Coffee, one of the episodes. His name is Randall O. Tool, and he's fantastic. Um, wow, uh, scroll up. <laughs> okay, that's a YouTube. Okay, cool. I think it's this one. Yes, Monday morning coffee with Randall O'Toole. Uh, so if you just if you just Google that, you'll be able to find it. Uh, look on the look on the SoundCloud. But Alex is right about that. It's this idea that we have to densify the cities is the only solution to affordable housing is silly. It should really be just like anything. The best solution is probably going to be somewhere in the gray area, somewhere in the middle, somewhere somewhere that's a multi multi prong approach and not just a one size fits all. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That's the issue. Okay. So, did we get the meat out of that story? We got the meat out of the story, and that was people say one thing, and this probably applies to everybody on all political spectrums. They say one thing, and then they, when it comes to push comes to shove, they don't really do it, right? Yeah. So I would just like everybody to at least acknowledge that pretty much is a fact of just human behavior. Right, right. And, and, and I mean, that comes down to... to I, I don't think people naturally 
know how to um, think about the second and third order consequences of everything they do and the intertangledness of everything. I think in the Western culture, we are programmed to believe, and it's done great for us, um, cause and effect, cause and effect, cause and effect. Cause and effect doesn't work in the circular connected world that, that we live in. So here's an example. Like, um, hey, we want Longmont and, and Boulder to be green, beautiful, and all that stuff. <clears throat> How do we do that? Oh, let's purchase open space. Okay. Oh, that, that happens. Cause and, you, you solve that problem. Hey, we want Longmont to grow and we want affordable uh, housing. <clears throat> Did you think about the, <laughs> the, the literally interconnectedness of the other decisions that you made that now make that not possible? Right. Yeah. No. Um, but it's like everything is like there's one problem, so here's our, our one solution. It just doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't work. work. Like it doesn't yeah. work. Got to be a multi-pronged approach. Can I, can I, I'm going to record something and share it. Uh, Lance, you'll just have to pretend that you're a listener, but okay. <clears throat> it comes from basically our favorite, uh, Facebook group, which is the entree architect community. And someone shared, I think Mark shared this one. One of our members shared this. So, uh, in, in the Slack. So here's what they said. <clears throat> Quote, so here in Los Angeles, the permitting process had become completely unbearable. The entire department, including all agencies, fire department, planning department, and others are closed. So the public, um, closed to the public. So all we can do is communicate via email or phone. No one calls back. No one emails back. It can take nine months to permit an ADU, which is basically those little houses in, in the back of uh, your yard or in addition to a single family house. So today we had a Zoom meeting with the head honcho of LA Building and Safety and the local AIA chapter to air our grievances. The fine folks at our chapter put together this mind blowing graphic of what the process looks like. So I thought you guys might get a kick out of it. Does anyone else have going through this same thing? So you'll be able to see if you watch it on YouTube. Mm -hmm. So they, they, the AI there put together what's happening and, and basically this graphic is it's oh you start nice you start talking to this one person and then a whole bunch of squiggly lines to all this other jurisdictions a whole bunch of this nonsense and here you go and what they're trying to describe which i only knew from working with with um basically the, this tech guy is thrashing what is happening in these dense communities is you are thrashing the process you are basically the city is asking, hey, fire department, do you want to look at this? Hey, housing person, do you want to look at this? Hey, 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 everyone in here, do you, we feel that you are so important that you should give your input on this project. So what that does now is that everyone says yes to that because like basically your boss asked you if you wanted to do this. You said yes. Now, every single project, even if it doesn't matter, even if it is an ADA unit, is now getting subject to review of every single department. And most of them don't count. But what happens to them and their process is like, now I have 800 projects to look at. 90% of them, I shouldn't even have to look at. So now I can't give consistent, good, or thoughtful comments on anything. I can basically only touch base, which means like check in on this. We've received so many comments where it's like, you just copied and pasted your comments from last time. You didn't even see that we changed it, updated it, or addressed it. You, had, you didn't even look at it at all. This is a huge problem, right? And this is why Republicans or libertarians <clears throat> or take it out of any categories people who deal with the government don't want to give them more responsibility because it leads to this thrashing event. Yeah. It leads to this thrashing event. Everybody, I just wish everybody would get on board with, uh, you know, the Democrats at one point in time, like during the George Bush years, we're, an, we're just anti-government and wanted to reduce it and all that. Like if we could just all get on that, all get on the board of it, that it, it should be reduced to the smallest amount possible and streamlined. It would be better for everybody because yeah. then when your enemies get in power, they can't use it against you and they're going to get back in power. This idea that people think that we're going to have this 100% demographic shift in the future and it's going to go in the exact way they're predicting is 100% demonstrably false. All you got to do is look at the last, the election, the special election in Virginia just this fall and it's false 
because you look how the Hispanic Hispanics voted and they voted right. So this idea that they're always going to vote in one, any demographic is going to vote in any certain way is complete nonsense. Right, right. And I think what we're getting to is there needs to be a mechanism that enforces streamlining. And there isn't a mechanism that enforces streamlining. There's a mechanism that enforces um, creating committees, right? I just saw this with the Space Force, which, uh, not the Space Force, it was the National Council on uh, Space, right? And basically, the, the whole announcement was like, we have the biggest council on space, and guess what? It's getting bigger. We're adding four new members. I was like, no, <laughs> no, why are you doing this? Uh, it's do like now, now every satellite literally... <clears throat> You're going to think I'm kidding, right? But think about a satellite that's streamlined, that, that um, can do something efficiently, whatever whatever the purpose of that satellite is. It, uh, images, communication, weather, whatever. Yep. Now when you have a committee on it, like, hey, you're sending that satellite up. Can it also address climate change? Can it also address, like, this is, and I'm not kidding you, because climate change then affects uh, social justice, uh, um, what do they call it? Social, social justice conditions where now now it's like tree covers per city and all that stuff. And hey, this might be an okay thing to study or a great thing to study, but you are creating a thrashing event where now something that's supposed to be a dedicated purpose, that streamlined, that's ready to go, has to address everyone's concern on these committees. And then all of a sudden it comes down to brass tacks because you have to spend real money if the government's even spending that. Or at least you have to spend real resources of making something go in space, which is extremely hard. Now, every one of those priorities is reduced to like a shitty version of itself. Yeah. And this is just like one small example to, 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 to make a point is the growing of these committees and bureaucracies is not going to be what the solution is. And we need to find a mechanism that cuts down on those. What cuts down on those in the private sector is profit. Holy cow. We cannot have everyone look at some stupid small project because no work's going to be done and we can only bill out this amount. So we have to streamline and make it efficient. What can that be for governments? I think a lot of people will say, well, we need to wake up and start communicating that. And we'll go over that. And, and, and that's sort of happening. But it's like, is your only mechanism for changing when things go so wrong or that they're so gummed up, right? That the AIA is getting with the head building official. And I think that that's great, right? And I think that some change can happen that way. But just think about this. It's what happens to politicians too, is you meet with them, you say your grievances, they will agree with you. But then they go back. They go back in their office. And now everyone is of a different opinion. What, you're going to reduce what I do? What, you're going to take over my responsibility? What, you're going to have me not look over this project? What about the one example that I can say as a person who looks over this thing is, hey, well, there was this one project where I made this one comment. And and if I didn't make that one comment, it would have went through all this. No one would have caught it to the end. It would cause a huge thing. Okay. What is that person going to say, that building official, when everyone's against them? There's going to be some minor improvement, but it's going to be gummed up in, in the system. It's as simple as it's as simple as this. Uh, I was listening to one of my other favorite podcasts, "You're Welcome," and it's not spelled. It's it's a troll spelling, but but with Michael Malice, and he had Chris Williamson on uh, just this past week, episode one eighty three. Uh, check it out. One of the best things that he said. Sometimes I listen to podcasts, and it's like I hear one thing. I took one thing, one phrase away from it, totally worth the half hour. Yeah. And the one thing he said that was totally worth that half hour of my life was, he said, uh, the best way for you to uh, attain your goals, or goal, rather, don't let's not do plural. The best way for you to attain a goal is you get rid of everything that's not going to allow you to attain that goal, right? So if you are trying to build a house, your own house, and you can and you can get rid of everything else that's going to distract you from building your house, whatever it is. Then then you'll be focused on that. So the same thing goes. The same thing is for these these ideas that with the, with the space analogy you're making is like, well, what's the goal there? Why are you adding all of these other things on? That's going to distract from the goal. It's going to get muddy, and we're not going to be able to focus and get to it. Yeah, yeah, you got it. Uh, moving ahead. <clears throat> Housing is more expensive than ever, and it's going to get well, wait, more. Wait, wait, wait. Let, let's sit with, you're skipping ahead. 
Let's review. Oh, you're right. I'm sorry. What I thought was actually a pretty good report and process. I'm pulling it up here. You, I want you to direct me because I've got some things I want to talk about with it. Yeah. So it's called, I mean, the, the name is terrible. Tactical Management Assessment, Aligning Policy and Process with Longmont's Vision. Um, but so basically it was a group that prepared this for uh, the downtown Longmont group. Uh, I, I hope, did this go to the city? It, it, it had to. Happen. Yeah, so the, I've got the introduction pulled up here. You can yep. see it on YouTube if you're watching. It's to, to assist the implementation of the Longmont Economic Development Partnership, LEDP, advanced, blah, 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 blah. So the idea was to um, address some objectives, and they have them bolt, uh, in bullet points, you know, well, number one, great gain a, uh, a greater understanding of why some proposed developments projects in Longmont were abandoned. So, like, why did they start and then they didn't do it, right? Mm -hmm. um, uh, they wanted to undertake a comparative analysis of the entitlement process. So, compare the entitlement process, site plan review, um, zoning review, basically. How's Longmont doing versus other cities? I thought that was brilliant. I'm like, yes, finally, finally. Is it okay if we compare other cities, people? I get that you are on your little ivory tower. Third thing was convene strategy sessions with representatives from the development construction and professional services. If you remember a few podcast episodes ago, I, rec I, 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 I said that we would be going over a report like this because I was one of those professionals that they brought in and they asked for my opinion and I was grateful for it. And, yeah. and, I, and again, to the listeners, if you ever get the opportunity... This is where maybe you're just maybe you're an introvert and, and you're like, I don't want to go stand up from city council and give a speech and, and wreck the mayor. Don't do it then. But if you can do something like this, this is super helpful. Yeah. And you could still you could do it from the comfort of your house. Right. Yep. yep. OK, go ahead. Um, so on page three, stop. Yeah. Keep going down. Keep going down. Yep. OK, stop right there. Yeah. Um, what, what I there's not a mechanism to enforce change. One idea, though, is whoever is the leader of the building department or the planning department needs to communicate to the city manager and to the city staff that this is the only immediate thing that 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 could help on a, on basically every decision is that I'm going to be evaluating staff on what they can do to reduce and streamline the process. Like that is one of our top metrics, right? Because you have all of these other metrics that they're going into mm -hmm. and, and, and no one is looking at that. Like one of the things that we do at our firm that we aren't necessarily saying we're evaluating them on, but they're presenting on is like, hey, what is your improvement in the last two weeks? Because you have a two week thing between when you present and then they say some sort of improvement. So like we have an accountability and we have an incentive for, because it not all of them are hits, but like a, a couple of them are like, oh man, that's amazing. And the person who did that feels great. You know, hey, everyone thought that my idea was amazing and everyone's gonna now implement it. Uh, but why going back to this report, I had Lance stop at page three. It has the year 2019, 2020, and then 2021. And it was only January to July. So it was only about, you know, basically half the year. In 2019, uh, number of applications submitted was 130. 2020, it was 43. In no, no, no. 2020, 93. 93. Yep, yep. And then in 2021, up to that date was was 48. Yep. So, so, gen so on par kind of with the last year, but definitely less than 2019. We all know what happened in 2020 and in 2021. Yep. And, <laughs> and some people would say COVID, but like it, it's proven that it's not COVID. Um, Later on. Yep. Yeah. In, in the study. Yeah. There, there, we'll go over reasons why. Another thing too is like, there's just less and less land. Like no one brought that up. Like, <laughs> yeah. Hey, so to recap here, uh, they looked at, there was in the last three, two and a half years. Yeah. Two and a half years, 271 uh, applications. Right. And then I'm moving on to page four here, um, and that basically, <clears throat> then out of out of that, uh, there was let's see, eight percent of the projects we were completely abandoned, um, and then there are forty percent that are just have an unknown status. So you know, it's probably fair to say that really, it's probably over ten percent abandoned. Yep. Uh, people don't have to say they're abandoning stuff formally; they can just not, they can just stop. Yep. And then yeah, go down. Um, what I highlighted, keep going. Oh, nope. You're, you're there. Okay. Perfect. 50% of these projects, yeah. abandonment can be attributed primarily, 
primarily to the entitlement process. Which site plan review again, zoning review. Yep. Yep. If for anybody, they might call it something else in your city and that's why I'm saying it. Yep. And then there's, there's a, there's a couple main reasons for, you know, why they withdrew. Um, and, and, well, so there's a couple of reasons why they withdrew, but I want to point out a few things. Let's just pretend because I think the number is actually probably over 50%. My argument is financial issues comprise 20% of reasons. Oh, okay. Well, what if the financial reason was because of something the city asked for regarding affordable housing or whatever, right? So I think you could probably tip it. It's probably over well, half. Yeah. It, it, it was, if you, and you did read it, it was affordable housing. It was, hey, you're making a development. Please redo this whole street. Hey, please redo all this. So like it was the entitlements enforcing a financial burden. Yeah. Uh, so uh, the next page uh, gives some descriptions. Um, this wasn't all, I don't think this was all of the projects in, in the 8%. Um, but they, they started listing some of them out there. Just they were able to find out exactly why the primary reason was right. And the, what I circled here on the screen was <clears throat> the industrial space and commercial space is a whole nother argument. Um, our main shtick at this firm and a lot of people listening are doing residential, even if it's multifamily, right? So that's why I'm highlighting this and it's piggybacking on top of this thing that we keep harping on over and over again is if you want affordable housing, you're going to have to free the market at some point. Yep. So I've highlighted these ones. Go ahead. Al. And, and I'll go over. So uh, some of the reasons for abandonment, prolonged response by city on requests um, of whether or not this item would be supported or not. Again, that goes to the thrashing issue. Uh, another one, presence of prairie dogs on site stretched out city regulation process. So again, it's how many different influences do you want? Are the prairie dogs more important than people? People just say it. Yep. And honestly, there's a there's a leftist on the city council that I disagree with on everything except for this. She, I even wrote her an email once and said thank you for take for standing up for humans over prairie dogs. And she goes thank you as well, Lance, or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's so again, it's like okay, if we're a government, everyone's voice needs to be heard this needs to be systematic this needs to be truthful right i do get that when you are regulating whether you did a crime or not you should have all the resources available everything to prove that you're innocent or not and and it, it should be a process now hey you committed or didn't commit murder that's gonna be a whole big process mm -hmm. man do you have to have that same level of everyone's input and, and, and the reason why is because someone, I know this to be a fact because I've seen them, they are really interested in the prairie dogs and they will come to city council meetings and they will talk and they will bring their friends and all of a sudden to, to <laughs> city council, it seems like there's this whole push for prairie dogs when the majority of citizens are sitting out there and be like, what? I'm not going to go there and say, I'm, I don't care about prairie dogs or why are you holding up this development or why are you killing this development because of prairie dogs because it's common sense then the city will ask like okay do people really care about prairie dogs or not let's do a survey hey who should we get on that survey hey maybe those people that are coming all the time let's have them word some questions and they'll word some questions like hey do you care about prairie dog habitation and stuff like that oh yeah sure i care about hair uh habitations of prairie dog again it's just like cause and effect like do you care about it more than than your house price in the storings or developments not going through or anything like that. Um, <clears throat> so like that, that literally one issue will kill a project and everyone it's having this written right here. <laughs> they're saying it gums up the whole thing. Um, another one highlight change in affordable housing Hit income levels killed a project killed. A, I want the 60 unit affordable housing project. So what they are Come going on, for, uh, they, they want, the, yes. they want a 60 unit. They want as much affordable housing as needed. Oh, the change. But the reason why they abandoned it, the change in affordable housing income levels for the affordable units by city made it financially unviable to perch, to pursue and create an uncertainty in the project. Yep. So they're just, they're done with it. Significant offsite infrastructure costs with a drainage plan caused another one. <laughs> um, regular, uh, regulatory process and rising construction costs. Hey, that's fair. Cause another one. And that one was for a six-story mixed-use building with 32 dwelling units. So more housing got yeah. killed because of it. Um, there's some there's some other ones, but those are the ones I wanted to at least uh, point out. Oh, 
Uh, yeah, yeah. That this other one doesn't matter yep. to me. And and the biggest thing where I highlighted too, Lance, and I don't know how much you want to go through through everything. Well. I, Actually, through a couple of them and, and talk about the process. But what do you have right here? Yeah, so page eight then going further, just to put a quantitative number on it, the esti- they, they highlighted the estimated, the estimated quantitative impact of abandoned projects not realized in this study was for residential units is 440 to 450. Yep. So like those, are, those resi- residential units are not getting built whatsoever. I don't even know. I, I'm trying to think of like how many... I think that would be double what's probably getting built right now, if not more. Double, triple, quadruple. I, I don't have that number. Yeah. But I drive around town and I know that I'm pretty sure I'm only seeing one apartment building being built right now. Right. In well, a city of 100,000 people. If they're losing 400 projects a year or two years, let's say it's 200 projects, 200 a year. <laughs> what, what that means is that when we or someone else builds it, you don't have competition. You don't have competition. And what happens, what happens then, Al? The price goes up. Yeah. Yep. Because you can. It depends. Depending. So then they went on to... This was, this was probably one of the coolest parts. Is they, then they compared, they compared <clears throat> the entitlement process in Longmont to other cities, right? Um, our good friend Jerry uh, Boland actually designed this project. Yep. And it is uh, the spoke on Kaufman. He's uh, one of our uh, original mentors. Um, our old, older architect. Works for RNN Architects. So... Little, if you're looking on YouTube, here, here's just the, retired, just retired. Good for him. Hopefully he fishes. Um, so this was a affordable housing project. It was a public-private partnership um, that they had with the city. Uh, Seventy-three units of affordable housing, and basically, I went and highlighted. It took 15 months, 15 months to get through this, uh, the entitlement process, the site plan review process. Five, five reviews, and it took five reviews. Yep. Um, no, 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 six. Oh, okay. It took six. Yep. So, uh, and then, uh, so their complaints were, yeah, the following were identified as some of the challenges as part of the entitlement process for this project. And, you know, high number of site plan application resubmittals, uh, prolonged timeline for a project approval, 15 months, took six, six, six back and forth with the city. And then one of the final bullet points I think is most important is redundant and conflicting development review comments, which resulted in a high number of comments that needed to be that added to increase time and cost for applicant to respond. Here's the biggest thing. I've had this in Longmont, in Lakewood, and in Denver. <clears throat> your access. Here are your rules for access of where you can put in your access. Okay? There's your rule. Your setbacks. Here are your rules for setbacks. Here you go. Um, let's just take those two. They conflict and one they, they conflict. So like your site is technically unbuildable at this moment. But developers go into like, oh, of course there's going to be some reasonableness, whatever. Like so, someone's going to have to budge. I have had it in all three of those cities where whoever's in charge won't get in a room, won't sit down, won't all talk to each other, say, nope, you have to do this. The other one, nope, you have to do this. And a lot of times it's like three rules that conflict and like literally no one's budging and be like, what are you doing? The fire department is another one. So you have a fire department rule, an access rule, and a setback rule. And all of them are like, here's our standards. Here we go. And this is why I said that like the system is dumber than than a human being. Yes. It's like they didn't do deconfliction, or if they did, they like you can't do. Here's the thing, what's what's the solution to that? Oh, for lots under this site, you can have an exemption, and then all of a sudden it's like, holy cow, you just made another twenty pages of, of rules for this one thing, right? Rather than I'm I'm gonna spill the beans a little bit. The Another suggestion that I have seen happen that's worked in the building department and in the and should now hopefully be translated into the planning department. The biggest problem in the building department, which I don't have problems with. No, the building department was pretty good. Was in Denver. And when they messed with me, it was, holy cow, can one of your building inspectors open the door to the project and come look at it instead of not doing this, right? Another thing in Longmont. A good thing that happened in Longmont. <clears throat> we have to do this process for this demo and it's all this paperwork and it's all this craziness and it involves structural engineers and verifying stuff, things like that. And it's been this nightmare of a project, right? The head building official of Longmont knew that we were having an inspection with you know, some, some people. He came out to the, the site. He looked around, he's like, oh, 
yeah, you can do that. You can do that. You can do that. And then our Jason was there. He's like, yeah, I know. I got to fill out all these forms and do all this stuff. He's like, no, no, you do not. Because it, it's a very simple, t- tiny thing. He's like, just do this one application, send it. If anyone gives you any guff, literally send it to me. Yeah. Like the ability of a person to go out and just see what's going on is extremely lacking in the planning department. It's crazy. Extremely lacking. Yeah. And, and, and COVID is not helping this because now you're in your silos and now it's just emails yeah. and now it's a phone call. I thought we weren't going to blame this on COVID. Here we did. So the, the, the next project, that, so the next project in their packet is Patina Flats at the Foundry in Loveland. Loveland, just so everybody knows, is a town north of us by about 30 minutes um, where we operate. <clears throat> so very similar project, right? Um, they've got re- uh, market rate rental housing. It was a public-private partnership. Um, and one of the things uh, that they went through, so the the difference is this this review process up in Loveland only took eight months compared to Longmont. Um, and some of the reasons why it was so successful in the eight months was they had a standing concept review meetings between the city and development review team um, and the Brinkman development team held every two weeks prior to submittal of the site plan application process. I love that. I think it's a great idea. Every, I bet everybody got together. Yep. And and I and I think they should. The only thing that's wrong <coughs> held six months of these meetings prior to the submittal. So so you add six plus eight and you get to fourteen. I yep. To to be fair, a lot of times it does take six months to then give it to the city. So then it's eight months on top of six months. But it's better than six months and then you give it to the city and it's fifteen months. But still, if you held six months of of meetings and they were in there every two weeks. That's 12 meetings. Uh, I mean, it should take three months to four months at more to get yeah. at, to get through the process. Yeah, yeah. So still... But it's not all on the city. When they give responses, you need time to update it. The developer changed stuff, but still, yeah. man. Back to Longmont, uh, 1660 South Fordham Street in Longmont. It's a business center. And uh, this application took only seven months. And part of the reasons for that were... Um, so some of the challenges, they still... We're not happy about the challenges. Fair enough. Prolonged review period for each application. Uh, example, seven weeks to get the first comments back, including one week for application completeness check. Um, so their recommendation was ensuring adequate staff capacity in the development review process could shorten these review times. I agree. Uh, another solid point was ensure that the development review comments are consistent. Again, back to this consistency with the city's design and development standards identified in the land development code. So they compared that to uh, another mm. project up in Louisville, North, right? Yep. And what they found for that one was it only took five months to to do through there. Um, I don't see that they did the two the week meeting every two weeks for this, um, yep. Al. Um, and that uh, so. <clears throat> oh wait, am I missing a project? No, that, nope. Yeah. So. The city development review process was straightforward, predictable, and clear. They're a lead city staff planner was key to the project's success. I would say that that's true. I'd say most cities kind of have that. Yeah, uh, that one wasn't really the best suggestion because I, in the cities we work with, yeah, we usually have a lead staff. And that makes sense, right? Yep. Um, However, some of the key takeaways for Longmont, again, was uh, the Patina Flats project in Loveland had an expedited development process as it was identified as a high-priority project for the city. So if they're, if you're doing affordable housing, then you should get high-priority if that's your damn priority. I disagree. Okay, fair enough. And I strongly disagree because now, again... It's picking winners and losers. I'm just saying... Yes. If we're gonna, I'm, what I'm doing is I'm saying if we're going to play their game. Right. This is th- Because I think there's a, an easier, better solution, too. Okay, there's a 100-unit development, and then we're doing an 8-unit development. We have to compete. We are just we don't have the time, the money, and resources. All of a sudden, you're getting them a better review process so that they're going through quicker and you're doing easier things. Now their cost per unit came down even more. Now we can't even compete. Now these infield projects become even harder. Here's the difference. <clears throat> the 100-unit project or the 5-unit project or even the addition. The 100-unit project, maybe have these weekly things, maybe have all the planning people go and do all that. The... <clears throat> The small addition to all that, you should just have one person looking at it and they should have enough understanding of the code that they can speak for water, they can speak for fire, they can speak for city, and that and th- no one else is looking at it. 
For an eight-unit project, hey, it's an, it's an engineer and it's a planner, and that's it. For the big projects, okay, this is when it goes out to everyone, but we're going to expedite it because we know that this is our main focus. So you really have to reduce the level of complexity for those smaller projects. Yeah. And then the big one, because if you just expedite all these bigger ones, I really think I really think that's uh, that's not in the spirit of of the government. That's not in the spirit of the spirit of American dream. I think you're just gumming up other works. I think low priority projects. You have the same thing that's happening in LA now. It's an ADU and it takes nine months, and it took a big developer six months to go through. It's like, man, that that person is just trying to do an ADU to rent it out to someone to make some extra income and increase the housing supply, and it took them nine months. So, uh, another key point of success identified by the applicant and municipality for the Patina Flats project was flexible and iterative development review process. So, staff had a two-week turnaround for each city review. I think that one, man, if everybody could just, if they could just get on board with that, I think that would be super helpful. Um, and then, the, go ahead. Page 23. Yeah, I'm there. Okay. Um, the first point on the top of the page. Yep. Challenges associated with unclear direction on stormwater uh, quality and design standards that has happened multiple times. Mm. And that's a big part. What people don't realize is that the civil engineering is a big part of the site plan review process Huge. and, and unclear direction on not only that, but then also on, uh, other things like, Hey, where can we put our access road? Hey, do we, you know, because all these things are not working out and, and, and you can't really get a clear answer. You can't get a definite thing. So you're going with hundreds of thousands of dollars through this process. And you don't know if this one thing's going to hang up your project or not. That's huge. Yeah, it's giant. Yeah. Later on in that page, uh, one of the key observations from interviews with the project applicants and the municipal development review process was the importance of being transparent, responsive, <laughs> clear, straightforward on what the issues may be and finding solutions like this idea that you can't that these um government officials can't give us a straight answer blows me away the whole idea is they're supposed to have an open and clear democracy right i mean that wasn't that the idea people a government of the people by the people for the people uh other bill of point was um for the south fordham project in longmont needed five application resubmittals and seven months for site plan review compared to four application remodels and six months in total for site plan review and minor subplot division for Taylor for, for Taylor and Louisville. So um, they're just proving that other cities are objectively better. Yep. Well, also it has to do with the incentive structure, that, which is very hard. If someone makes a decision at the city, one planner, hey, I'm going to give you this answer. We're going to go. Here you go through the process. <clears throat> Let's say four months later in it, like the fire department yells at you or something like that. There's always there there's always an incentive then to increase the review and not get in trouble because there is no incentive for, hey, that that ADU went all clear and and I never even heard a peep. Where in 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 our structure, it, like projects that go through smoothly, like we realize, we see it, we see the bills, we see all that stuff. Hey, that is great. So it, it, it's positive, like bonuses are related to that. Um, salary increases are related to that. We see how efficient people are. And that is actually like a main goal where I don't think you like, I don't think that they see that. I just think they see complaints from people about prairie dogs and then they have to deal with it. And they have a hard time because like a lot of people at the top, all they're getting, even them are the complaints. And then they have to, how do we make sure this process is fair? How do we make sure that it's complete? How do we make sure it's thorough? It's like, and that ruins the whole thing. It's like about Twitter. 7% of the tweets are from, are 100% of the tweets are, the majority of the tweets are from 7% of people. This is how this works. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, summary, basically, um, of what they said is working well. Maybe you can help maybe this helps you in advocating for this sort of stuff in, in your city is the development review staff is helpful. I would agree. Um, yeah. They are, they are helpful. They, they try to re- return phone calls, emails, all that. Uh, they're friendly people. I, I agree. Nobody's really crabby. There's only one crabby person, but I'm not going to name names. Yeah. Uh, pre-application meetings are a good thing. I agree. If you can just get a, that before you even apply to show them a concept, get some feedback. Problem is I wish they would hold their, I wish they would hold their feet to the fire 
about what they say in the pre-application meeting because often it's not true. Um, electronic submittal process was great. I'm thankful for that. We're all electronics now. Once a project is approved under construction, the inspection process is very smooth. They said pretty smooth, but I would say very smooth. Um, and then, quote, we had an instance where a planning staff member came down to a Denver, down to Denver to visit a, our project to get a better understanding of what we're proposing in Longmont. That was a very exceptional thing to do that we haven't seen too many times in other jurisdictions. That speaks it directly to your get out of the office, please. Yep. Uh, discussions with development staff was great. Good. It's the process yeah. that is challenging. It's the process. And then I love, uh, you could keep going, but literally the last page yeah. it, it is Let's the just summation of, of, of all of it. It's called Exhibit A, Potential Development Review Process for High Priority Projects. Shouldn't it just be high priority? Yeah. That's a uh, great critique, I think. It shouldn't just be high priority. Yep. You can't. That's the thing is like everybody needs to understand that every single mandate or law that some that the government makes, it's picking and choosing winners and losers. That's not its job. Yeah. The because, market is supposed to pick the winners and choose losers. Yeah. Because then again, this cause and effect like, hey, we're going to have a high priority projects go through. Hey, why, why is our society stratifying into rich only and, and poor only? Oh, maybe because you made rules where the the more... The projects that have bigger money, bigger finances, bigger things get all the benefits and the people coming up can't. And then all of a sudden they can't even develop into those people because basically they're they're slowed down. They're retarded in the sense of the word of that is retarding it your is progress. Retarding. It is retarding the process, yep. yeah. Uh, okay, I actually think we're going to save this article that I have for next uh, week because we are, it's like we're at almost in an hour today. Lucky, oh, yes. lucky for all of you. So um, with that, I believe uh, we have our next uh, segment here, which is Nick with Nick Reads. Hello, best friends. I hope you had a great week this week and a happy Thanksgiving. A reading. We know they're lying. They know they're lying. They know that we know they're lying. We also know that they know that we know they're lying, but they still lie. Alexander Slotzeletsen. Yep, still mispronounced that. Toodles. <laughs> Alexander Schultzenitsen. Yes, Alex. Al Gore even got it right. Yep. Alexander Schultzenitsen. I had sent a voice text uh, to both, <coughs> both the besties twice. And still, poor, poor Nick. What, what was awesome, too, is so uh, he's the author of the Gulag Archipelagos. Yeah. And I was in high school, and um, I, I developed this. It's Wow, I never even thought about this. In middle school, did I tell you I used to get kicked out of class all the time? Of course you told me that, <laughs> silly boy. So, so then their punishment was I sit in the hallway. But, okay, if you're kicking out of a class for a kid that's not listening to instructions, do you think I'm just going to sit there? <laughs> and listen to your instructions of sitting in the hallway. I'd go down to the library all the time and then go mess around in there and go hang out. Yeah. Anyway, so in high school, I'm, I'm in the library I'm, and I asked the librarian, what, hey, give me a, rec a recommendation. What should I read? And she said, you should read the Gulag Archipelagos. Wow. Which is like, I don't know. Bravo to that teacher. Would that happen in today's political climate? Yeah. Yep. I don't know. Um, and, and basically this gets to what everyone is experiencing on all sides is, is literally the gaslighting or the craziness of I see or know something as a fact and you are telling me something completely different. And, and, and I'll actually go with one that's common that both the left and the right know. There you go. <laughs> Tesla. Uh. Te Tesla is a company that makes what? Cars. What kind of cars, Lance? Electric cars. For how long? How long have they made them? Almost a decade, right? 2008, something like that, yeah, even yeah. before that. <clears throat> so uh, the president and the administration goes to GM, who has the Bolt and a couple other cars, and basically tells them in America, <clears throat> literally on tape, you have electrified the nation. You have led the way. And anyone that's into electric cars is like, what are you talking about? 
they were slow. They killed the first electric car. They have this other car that's okay. That a lot of them are plugins. Like, have you not heard the word Tesla? Like, have you have you not heard the like? What kind of crazy world are we living in? And that comes to the point of the reading, which is like, okay, you know they're lying. They have to know that they're lying. There's no way that they don't know the richest man on the planet who tweets nonsense all the time. Like, there's no way to get away from this person, right? So they know that they're lying. And then what he's saying is that they know that you know that they're lying and they still lie. And they still lie. It's crazy. It's maddening is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just on display now. Like it it always happened because he's just placating to the unions. But it's like with a bold face lie. Wow. Yeah. 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 Uh, But I'll tell you what's not. There's not going to be any lies. It'll be completely 100% the truth. And that is our next segment. A-R-E Jeopardy. Let's bring down the crew, Al. All right. Are you ready? Ready. Uh, Addicts of 30 inches in height or more must have an access of of at least how large? Okay. Is it A, 22 inches by 30 inches? Is it B, 26 inches by 30 inches? Is it, that was B, is it C, 24 inches by 36 inches? Or is it D, 32 inches by 30 inches? Nick could fit through all those pieces so tiny. Could he? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Is it only A, A, A? You are all correct. 22 inches by 30 inches. There you go. There you go. Question two. Accessible beds have how much clear space around them? A, 36 inches. B, 30 inches. C, 24 inches. D, 15 inches. Hmm. A, you, Mr. Gresh. Yep. A, 36 inches. B, 30 inches. C, 24 inches. D, 15 inches. <laughs> you get it wrong, I'm taking your life. Take, we're away. taking all of the group homes away from you. Okay. A, no, B, B, B. The correct answer is A. Yeah. 36 inches. Yep. Yep. The, in the picture, the right? diagram. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Still. In, in the diagram, they didn't have a turning radius of 60 inches or anything like that. And they did have, what do you call those, uh, like light stands in there? Nightstands. So it wasn't around everything. You can mm. have nightstands, apparently. All right. Number three. What type of fire alarm will detect the presence of smoke? Is it A, photoelectric, B, ionization, C, infrared, D, heatification? It's that one. It's that <laughs> one for sure. Word? Reeves? <laughs> I just made it up. Yeah. That's a hint. <laughs> Strong hint coming at you. Quick. What, what type of... What type of fire alarm will detect the presence of smoke? A, photoelectric. B, ionization. C, infrared. D, heatification. <laughs> Come on. Taking away licenses doesn't get... Okay, C, B, C. The correct answer is A, photoelectric. Mm-hmm. Right? It's got to detect the visuals of the smoke. Like the particles. Yeah. Um, smoky smoke. Okay. What do we got for numbers here? One, 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 three. Yeah, you don't count. Uh, my gosh. Okay. Number four. What U.S. city has adopted and uses its own building code? A, Houston. B, Denver. C, New York City. D, Chicago. I know, right? It's an actual A-R-E. Like, they, they care about it. Uh, we have A-D-D. The correct answer is D. We have a tiebreaker. Who's reading it? Yeah, Chicago, believe it or not. Mark Pedler coming in hot. Tiebreaker rules. <clears throat> First person to correctly uh, hold up the correct answer wins. Uh, you can play at home. Please shout out the answer. We will hear you. <laughs> Ready? Eat the mic. Speed round. A handrail is required on both sides of an accessible ramp if the rise is greater than how many inches? Mm. Mm. Good question. Mm. Good question. Come on. Let me show you what is that. Oh. There. No. 
Not four. Seven. Three. No, no, no. Everyone else gets to guess before you can go again. You said seven. Seven, no. Your turn? Five. Five, no. Three. Nope. Eight. Nope. Four. Nope. There's only two correct, two ways to think about this. I'll give you a hint after this. Ten. Nope. You, you, you can. I was gonna write down what they've guessed so far. Okay. <laughs> okay. Six is the correct answer. Six inches. And what do you win? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Six inches or greater requires a handrail. How did how did you not say thirty? Because thirty is common for guardrail. Yeah. Anyways, so this came up. Tyler and I had a project where the door sits on a brick sill, so we had to ramp up to it. But since it was only four inches, no, no nice. handrail required. That's cool. Where are we going to eat? <laughs> huh? There you go. I would love that. There that would go. be great. Easy, easy, easy peasy. Yeah, pistachios. Easy, easy. Free shout out. Lance, uh, take us out. If you like this episode, please share with a friend. Make sure you uh, follow us on the YouTube. Hit that like button. Subscribe. All the good things. And make sure you leave us a five-star review on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud. We'll see you next week.